0: If all activity, all of it, is prompted by desire, then maybe we ought to examine our desires. Hello, this is Laura Pereca coming to you from Las Vegas, hoping that you're having a great evening, morning, or afternoon. If I sound a little tired, it is because I am just back from a four-day, I guess you could call it vacation, working vacation in Flagstaff, Arizona, and Prescott, Arizona, two lovely places everyone ought to visit at least once in their lives. And I had a lot of time for reflection, and so this episode will come to you with a bit of gentle calmness and perhaps some additional reflection. Examine your desires. If you were to ask me in general what people's desires are, I would say this Uh, suits me best to say. If you want to be happy, you need three things. Something to do, someone to love, and something to look forward to. And if you have those three things, you'll probably be pretty happy. That will satisfy your deepest desires. However, other people have other ideas about what desires are really prevalent in people. And you can uh, Google what's trending, but Bertrand Russell, who got the Nobel Prize in literature in 1950 and uh, and died around 1970, has another idea of what he says are the four primary drivers, Uh, the four things that, uh, I guess he calls them infinite desires, uh, potent impulses, and otherwise just most important desires that everyone has. I tend to disagree a little bit because they're not my primary desires, but uh, maybe they are the primary four desires of most people. So let's talk about them. If all activity is prompted by desire, we really ought to know what our desires are. And don't take my word for it. A lot of people are talking about desires these days. People, People don't resist things for the reasons we think they do. They resist things because of their true desires, which may be hidden or not hidden. And those are the real reasons we do things or don't do things. So let's take a look at what Bertrand Russell thinks. He says the primary four drivers or desires we have are number one, and you may not know what this word means, so don't worry, I'll tell you, acquisitiveness. Now, not to be confused with inquisitiveness. As a classroom teacher many years ago, I loved having students that were inquisitive. They were very interested in finding things out. They were curious. But that is not what this desire is. This is acquisitiveness, which means possessing a lot of things or titles to things. So that might be the woman who has an insatiable desire to purchase shoes or handbags or clothes. Or the man who has a desire to have lots of uh, fancy shoes or ties or cars or anything material or even titles. People that are chasing titles, maybe people in academia, maybe people in the business realm that are after title after title. That's still uh, like a, kind of like a greedy acquisition. Yeah, I would have to say Bertrand, good old Bertrand is right about that because even though that's not me, I've never been the woman who has to go to the mall and shop till you drop. I'd have to say that in the people I've come across, a lot of people do gather lots of things. I'm embarrassed to admit that I have friends that are practically hoarders. You go into their homes and every nook and cranny is full of stuff. Useless stuff and good stuff, but just too much stuff. And when they can't fit it anymore, they start piling it up until it piles to the ceiling. And then they fill every cupboard and every drawer. And if you have them remodel because they must or change something in their environment, they will take the stuff out. And then after you're done, they will put that same crap right back in there. So, yep, Bertrand, you are probably right. That is probably one of the infinite desires of most people. Acquisitiveness. Hope that's not you. Let's go on to the second one. Rivalry. Now, before you argue with this one, as a classroom teacher, I can tell you, boy, you want to get the kids to do something, you create a little contest and let them compete. Yeah, rivalry works when people feel like they have to outdo the other person. They will work harder and longer at something. I do believe rivalry is a strong motivator. A strong desire of many people is to be on top, to win, to do better than someone else. That's why we always compare to others. And we really shouldn't. And I've done that myself too. I've compared my life to those of my friends, my financial status to those of uh, that I'm surrounded by. I've even compared my um, my how well I'm doing in business with other people that are doing the same things I'm doing. Tisk tisk tisk. Not a good idea. However, must be a prominent desire. Rivalry number three on the list. And by the way, they get stronger as they go along. So according to Bertrand Russell, acquisitiveness is less powerful than rivalry as a desire, an infinite desire, which is less powerful than number three. Are you ready for it? Vanity. Ooh, ooh yeah. Can't we say how vanity drives not just women who want to look better than each other, but men and children and the aged and the politicians, and the academias, and the hard-working blue-collar people, as well as white-collar. Yes, vanity does drive us. <clears throat> Why do you think you want a good-looking car? Vanity. Why do you stand in front of the mirror, combing your hair just right in the morning? Vanity. Why do you wear something that you know someone else likes? Probably Vanity. <laughs> Vanity says, look at me. Vanity says, I want the glory. And as a professional speaker, I would have to say that, hmm, in my own summation, probably I've discovered, and this was surprising to me, 50% of the speakers that I've met are actually introverts. And the other half are extroverts. Now, I would have thought, standing in front of people, motivating them or teaching them or inspiring them, that one would have to be an extrovert, but I was wrong. Because half of my friends that do what I do are indeed introverts. They're quiet and they uh, get their power from actually being alone and doing things alone, which is different from those of us who like to be in front of others and get our power from being around others. So vanity would probably, hmm, I would have to say that vanity would be more likely a motivator by us extroverts than the introverts. Now, the introverts are more motivated by motivator number four, which is the most powerful one. So we all got some of this in us. And it is power. Yes, power. Why else would someone quiet, withdrawn, who gets their energy by being alone, stand up in front of a group of people They don't like people that much. I mean, they like people, but they don't derive their power from people. They don't really enjoy social settings where they have to interact. Then why then? Why, oh, why, oh, why would they want to get up on stage? And the more I look at this, and I think of my more than half of my speaker friends who are introverts, um, yes, indeed, it is for power. You feel powerful when you are leading a group or speaking to a group, or have them in the palm of your hand waiting to hear what's next in the story that you are revealing to them. Yes, power. This is why people want to become CEOs. This is why someone wants to get into leadership, or run a group, or be in charge of people, places, and things. Power. Yep, good old Bertrand Russell was right when he said power was a very strong motivator none of us can deny that power can be used for good and for bad. Yes, there are some that would use power for good, many actually, and we like that, don't we? However, there are those who would use power for, you know, their own purposes, and it is what it is. I suppose even though it's not a primary motivator for me, I would have to say that I know I have been motivated by power before, probably more often by vanity, although no one likes to admit that. And of course, we already mentioned rivalry and acquisitiveness. But guess what? Bertrand Russell also talks about secondary desires, and I find this one fascinating. Boredom, and then its opposite, excitement. And I would venture to say, my words, not his, that boredom and excitement are two ends of the same stick. They're the opposite ends of the same stick. When you are excited, you are the opposite of when you are bored. But there's an interplay between the two, and I think we need them both, and we need to not put a negative connotation on either. Oftentimes, people put a negative connotation on boredom. But I'm here to say it's good for us to be bored sometimes. Again, back to being a classroom teacher. Children need to be able to come up with their own activities and their own ideas. They need to have some time that you're not controlling their lives. Let them be bored for a few minutes and let them solve their own problems. I actually got, you're not going to believe this, but I actually got in trouble once (laughs) from a very inferior I wanna say mediocre mediocre is too nice of a word for her. She was a Tammy and her name was Tammy and she was a real crab. And uh, she was a a boss of mine once who was not very good at her job. And she really um, probably would disagree with this, but uh, it is good for students to be able to solve their own problems. If you as the teacher or you as the leader or you as the boss are constantly solving everyone's problems, You are not helping them. They need to have the chance to figure things out for themselves. Ah, boredom. Sometimes we twiddle our fingers and say, I got to go find something to do. But moreover, people don't even allow themselves to get bored. They're often running to the next venture because they can't stand the feeling of being bored. They would rather do something they don't enjoy than be all alone with themselves. I can relate to that. I didn't know it was happening until I was already in the midst of it. And because I am a continual learner, if people tell me, you know, some feedback that I might not want to hear, I still do contemplate. I think about it and think, well, could that be? And in some of my contemplation, some of my solitude and stillness, I've had a chance to examine my life and say, you know what? Yes. I have been guilty recently of trying to stay busy in order to not have to be bored and be alone with myself. Now, most recently, that's not the case. But uh, of the distant, if you, uh, <laughs> the, the not so distant past, yes, I had been guilty of that, as we probably all are. You know, sometimes you got to let your mind catch up with your spirit. And other times you want to let your spirit catch up with your mind. I don't know which came first, the chicken or the egg. But the truth is we have a mind and it gets busy sometimes. It likes to work, work, work. Oh, that's what we have it for. You know, our body is busy working for us whether we tell it to or not. You cannot stop yourself from breathing. You can try for a few minutes, but eventually you'll pass out and your body will breathe because it knows to stay alive, it's got to breathe. Your mind, similarly, will try to keep thinking, working, 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 because that's what it does. It thinks, and it's hard to stop it. But in meditation and in a controlled environment, we can quiet down our minds a little bit, enough to stop so much incessant thinking. Now, how do we get creative ideas? I would say out of initially first calming your mind and being a little bored, being a little bored. For example, I was in a museum the other day in Flagstaff, Arizona. And I got some great ideas looking around at the different rooms. The ideas, they were so ahead of their time, things that they had done. The dining room table, instead of being a rectangle, was almost looked like a boat, the shape of a boat. If you were in the sky looking down on, let's say, a sailboat, it was a uh, created in such a way that rather than anyone able to sit at the head or the foot of the table, there were points at the front and at the back. At the head of the table and on the other side of the table, there were points. And so everyone, no matter where you were sitting at the table, could see everyone else. Wow, what an ingenious idea. And different things like that in the mansion, I remember thinking, these are great ideas. I'd like to use some of these in my next house that I would like to help create. Now, if I never give myself the time to be bored, to have nothing really to do or think about and, and and really put some of my own ideas into motion, how will I ever come up with those ideas? You see, we have to allow ourselves a little bit of boredom. If you're constantly excited with this or that or in the middle of something, you'll never, ever, ever get a chance to be creative, to come up with ideas, to be innovative. Because you see... For those things to happen, yep, you got to quiet your mind. Do nothing all alone with yourself. It's how all of the greats have gotten great ideas. Yes, someone else can spark some ideas for you, but also you need that contemplative time. And as an extrovert, I must admit, sadly, I have had not enough of that quiet time. Arts and sciences... those fields, you really need some daydreaming. It's essential. Stillness is essential. How else would you have scientific observation if you weren't still? How else would you figure out what some of those things meant if you didn't have reflection time? Oh, the businessmen that I have uh, counseled on how to be reflective, how to be a reflective practitioner, even in academia, in the classroom. The teachers I've worked with, you need to be able to reflect on your practice. How will you ever improve if you don't stop and take a little time to think? And then even to empty your mind so you're not so much as thinking as letting your brain put some stuff together for you. Hmm? We call it daydreaming, don't we? So, take some time to be bored. Be unafraid of examining your inner life. And I don't mean examining by getting all critical thinking on me. But I mean just allowing. Just be. Just take some time to just be and see what you come up with. You know, some boredom is essential to a happy life. (laughs) Maybe we should title this episode that Some Boredom is Essential to a Happy Life. I don't know if anyone would listen to it if I called it that. (laughs) So maybe we will call it Examining Your Desires instead. But remember, fruitful monotony is so important. It invites inventiveness and imaginative play. It helps you become innovative and creative. You know, some things, they're only possible when there's a certain degree of monotony. So until next time, go be bored.